0: Nice. It was a little, like, uh, extended grace note there. Chicago. A little bit. The fat flam. It it's kind of <laughs> hollow. There was a little hollow sound to that one today. Yeah, the sound quality was lacking, but that's all right. I think we'll make up for it in the quality of content we get we get yeah. here in a little bit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> man, it but feels Mike, weird. Mike, what you been up
0: to, man? I don't know.
1: Just working. Things are opening back up around here in Louisville, although some states with COVID are starting closing to back down. close back down, you know. Young people can't stay out of the bars, you know.
0: Yeah, it's getting hot out there. I just saw where Arizona was like, "Yeah, we're shutting back down for 30 days." I was like, "Woof, that sounds rough." That's so. But not something and then I, I saw actually too, which will kind of reference our next guest too. I think Philadelphia governor said like masks are going to become like mandatory or something, uh, which I'm sure our guest can speak on here in a few minutes because that's where he is. What are they gonna? Uh, are they yeah. gonna like ticket or fine people for not Dude. wearing
1: a mask? I I don't know. We'll we'll see. All right, well, <laughs> we'll all right, see. that's a total topic that we're not going to get into on this podcast because we are not a political podcast, thankfully. Yeah. Yeah. So, welcome everyone to the aged <laughs> out podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Fantini, and with me as always is Evan Worrell. And hit subscribe on the YouTube channel, subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, follow on Facebook and Instagram, and hit us up on patreon.com slash agedoutpodcast if you want to provide any financial support. And from here, I'm going to let Evan take it away, and we'll get into letting
0: our guest introduce himself. Yeah, so we'll get into our introduction here. Uh, just a quick shout out. Uh, We made a post recently on Instagram just thanking everybody. We crossed over a little bit above 32,000 downloads across all our platforms, which is crazy to think about. Um, We've just really been super thankful for everybody who's reached out and support, just digging what we're doing, offering it up. Like, hey, really really like the episodes. We really appreciate it. And uh, that's really how we've kind of connected with our guest today. He had listened to some episodes, just kind of reached out, digging what you guys are doing. would love to be on. And, of course... With his accolades and resume and history and just involvement in the activity, it was a no-brainer. It was like, yeah, man, we're going to make this work. Uh, so without further ado, we will introduce Angelo Outlaw Jr., uh, also known as Jello, or maybe you've seen some of his stuff called Jello Vibes, which I'm sure we'll get into here in a minute. But uh, thanks for joining us, man.
2: Hey, guys. Yeah, thanks for having me on. This should be exciting. I've been listening to you guys for a little bit.
0: yeah we appreciate it man we really do um that's kind of the beauty of it allows us to connect with even though i guess jello and me and mike all kind of march similar overlapping years we never knew each other at the time but now we're getting this opportunity just kind of go back and connect and grow the the musical family tree that we're all connected to i guess
2: (laughs) yeah definitely
0: so you're in philly now right Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, so I live in South Philly right now, yeah. So
0: I guess maybe you can speak a little bit onto what we were talking about. Is it getting crazy there? Or are they just kind of trying um, to tighten up before it does get crazy, or...
2: Yeah, it seems like it's been a little crazy, but they're definitely tightening up in Pennsylvania in general before we become a Florida or an yeah. Arizona. <laughs> I mean, you know,
0: I can't say that that's a bad idea, but we won't dive too much into that, but it, I'm sure it is affecting... Just uh, you and your surroundings and stuff like that, but uh, yeah. Well, man, why don't you kind of walk us through? I know you're from Philly, lived in Philly, but have kind of moved around. Why don't you walk us through just a little bit of a about yourself, like your introduction, like to music, maybe your introduction to uh, marching percussion, concert band percussion. What your just kind of pathway, man? Take us through it.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, so probably started in third grade, you know, on the recorder vibe. Oh baby yeah, baby recorder. Yeah, all day. Um, and then in fourth grade, I played violin. My mom is a like prolific fiddle player. Um, she, cool. Uh, cool. yeah, at one point during her career, she played in concert with Ray Charles. She's like amazing. Oh,
0: that's what's that's, uh, Yeah, nuts. she's
2: like, yeah, she's epic. Um, so, yeah, I started with violin just naturally, just because my mom knew it. Um, and then fourth grade I was just kind of like I want to just hit things I think I don't think (laughs) me like plucking strings is for me so yeah fourth grade I joined uh, percussion class and uh, yeah just did that all through elementary school then all middle school and then uh, high school comes around and I missed high school band auditions I guess I just like didn't know they were happening I was just like all right so then I showed up just like late in the middle of band camp which is like at the end of the summer you know and my band director's like there's no more places in the drum line but there's places in the pit do you want to do it and i'm like yeah i guess i mean i want to be in band so yeah and this was uh jason majorzak from uh, upper darby i went to upper darby in high school and uh fantastic program i was
0: going to say if people have not heard of upper darby uh, definitely look it up youtube it something just old school very very solid program all around
2: yeah he was killer he pretty much shaped my entire life and you know i have him to thank for that so shout out mr Ram, jason <laughs> uh <clears throat> so yeah did that um freshman year i was in the pit and then i was in the pit all four years and then my band director jason was uh um a senior corps guy as well he marched cadets and then he also marched bushwhackers um. So he exposed us to drum corps just all around at a very, very young age. He just had them playing in the band room constantly. Um, so yeah, then I went on to audition for Bushwhackers, actually in the cymbal line. Uh, because around that time, like the movie Drumline was out, and I was just like, yeah, the cymbals were like the dopest part of that whole movie. <laughs> oh, dude. <for laughs> sure. uh... Flashy. Yeah, flashy. I want to do that. You know, and, uh, you know, joined Bushwhackers, and it was, you know, nothing like that. <laughs> uh, so did that for like half a season and then they cut the cymbal line halfway through the season. They're like, well, you can be in the pit if you want to do that. And I was just like, yeah, yes, I'm already in the pit in high school, so I'll just do this as well. Um, so, yeah, did Bushwhackers 04 and then. 2005, we got a new PIT tech. Her name uh, was Nicole Monti. Now it's Nicole Moyer. She's Ian Moyer's wife.
0: Oh, right on. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. I've heard of her. I don't know her, but
2: I've heard yeah, the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Nicole Monti or Nicole Moyer uh, at this point, she is dope. You know, she <laughs> was the one that got me to audition for uh, the cadets and Crossman Camp. Uh, the YA they used to do like the that's YA right, the, yeah, yeah
0: back when they They'd were have all like, crossman in the same high school
2: yeah yeah man that was crazy you would like do the individual audition and it'd be like the cadet staff and the crossman staff you know dude, uh, dude just, that's like, intimidating yeah it was and you know I was like you know 14 or 15 so I like didn't really like get how intimidating it was you know I just like playing my shit you know um, <laughs>
0: that's almost maybe better, like just <laughs> keeping you from getting as nervous just because you don't know the scope of the situation, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah definitely. Um, got a call back for C- Crossman and cadets, went back to Crossman because I thought their uniforms were cooler and it wasn't really like digging the cadets' vibe, so I didn't really care <laughs> that one. Uh, how old were you at this point? Uh, this was so. This was for the O five season, so it was fall of 04, So I was I was fifteen. Yeah, so at 15, I was fifteen.
1: You got a callback for the cadets for the O five season.
2: Yeah, for the O five season. Yeah,
1: <laughs> thinking back,
2: I'm like, holy shit, I should
0: have. went to pretty that. back, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty nuts.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I went back to Crossman, got like to the end, and then got cut. Just kind of got outplayed. <laughs> Uh, so then '05, I marched Kiwanis Cavaliers uh, down in Florida. They're a Canadian-based core, but they rehearsed in Florida. Um, and you get
1: hooked up like, random. Yep,
2: um, I, so after I got cut from Crossman, I literally just looked up all the Div 1 cores on DCI.org and sent out emails if anybody had spots. And they were like one of three. Oh, so nice. uh, yeah, just like went. My parents just allowed me to go think maybe a little bit of a reckless move but you <laughs> they were know?
0: Supportive,
2: man. yeah i just don't really think they knew right. what yeah board. yeah, like,
0: yeah, what is yeah. it's like high school band sure all right right whatever. it's
2: just like professional marching band like whatever um <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh <clears throat> march to five that season was you know i learned a lot during that season but logistically they were just a mess you know that was their last year they folded after that uh Um, yeah, so they were just, we had two tour buses total. Staff was on the drum bus. Yeah, so that was, uh, yeah, it was a big yikes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah, after that, went back to Crossman, auditioned again, made it for 06. Uh, that was a dope season. Radio show, if anybody's seen that. I was a newscaster at one point.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Those, those, like, Early nineties to mid nineties and then like through the mid two thousands and stuff, crossmen were jamming, dude. It was fun
2: stuff. It was cool, it was a lot of fun. You know, the staff was the blast staff. You know, they were just, you know, epic to be around. So that was really, yeah.
1: That's awesome. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that was really sick. Um, then 07, I tried to audition for blue coats. Again, made it to the end, got cut, just got outplayed straight up. It was nothing (laughs) else. (laughs) Just wasn't good enough yet. Um, and, uh, yeah, went back to Crossman, um, and that was their first year in Texas. That was their year leaving YA. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, San Antonio. And that was a lot different. I didn't get along with that staff as much. I love the Pitt staff. There were some old Cavies guys, and they were sick. Um, Cliff Crooms and Eric Carraway, you know, they are, like, insane players. Um, but I didn't really like any of the admin or I didn't really like the way the core was going, the direction. Um, I was used to like the Philly crossman and it was just like different.
0: I'm sure it was just, I mean, huge staff changeover, organization changeover, transitioning away from YEA, moving from Philly to Texas. I mean, I'm assuming you did in 06, your move-ins in Philly, and then obviously in 07, your move-ins in Texas, right?
2: Yeah, very different. Texas were rough.
1: No, I feel like that like that whole transition is basically effectively just like a core died, and then a new core was born, but it had the same name, was how I took that whole situation when it happened.
2: Yeah, and that's pretty much what it was. You know, there's probably maybe like two or three staff members from the previous, from like 06, you know, um, and it was really like BOA heavy as far as membership goes, just because the core director was now like the band director for Ronald Reagan High School, which mm. is a huge BOA, you know? Yep. So, you know, that's really the approach they took to it. And I just like, you know, it just didn't really sit well with me. So in '08, I went back to Bluecoats, made it on Vibes, and then someone dropped out. Shree, I think, dropped out and got back on Marimba in '08, and then 09, uh March Marimba again uh so that's it for dci i didn't march 2010 blue coats because you know that was an epic show by the way 2010 blue coats, shout out metropolis so it's a really good one sick, yeah sick sick one um but yeah i didn't want to march it because at that point it was you know like the fall of 2009 and i still had three more years of mystique left and i was just mm-hmm. kind of like i want to just like chill for summer i just want to like do something else yeah um
0: so was 2010 would that have been your age out summer
2: yeah that was my age out summer for dci yeah i just didn't march so you
0: had the bonus winner
2: i had the bonus winner yeah so for wgi march mystique 2008 to 2012 nice so
1: -hmm. i i didn't march my age out either don't regret it i didn't either it's fine Well, I marched my age out for drum corps. I did not do my... I had the bonus winter as well, so Ah. my last indoor season was 2012 at Rhythm X, and I could have marched 13 and 14. But the Blue coat summer happened in 12, and I was like, all right, I'm just... I think I'm done. I just kind of aged myself out. I was kind of burnt out. I had gone pretty hard for like three or four years
0: straight between indoor and drum corps, and I was like, all right, I'm done here. I was kind of like you, Jello. I didn't march my outdoor, because I was like, I want to do my... Age out for indoor. That was, that was
2: more important to me.
0: I don't know. For yeah. whatever, just personally, I was like, I want to I age out indoor. I don't care about
2: Yeah. I felt like indoor is just a little more personal for me, and DCI was just, you know, I don't know. WGL spoke to me more.
0: Yeah, not <laughs> yeah. to, like, my own story, but I was, like, weighing some college decisions, and I was like, well, I could either, like, do outdoor or indoor, pretty much. Couldn't do both, so I was like, I chose indoor, because that's what I personally liked more, but... Anyway, so yeah, you yeah. did. Uh, you did a little bit of a staff transition there with Bluecoats, too. Of course, I guess it didn't affect you as much because Tom Rarick was already writing the book in '08, correct?
2: Yeah, no. Tom Rarick was writing the book, and Mike McIntosh was writing the battery book.
0: Battery. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And Tom just took over both.
2: Yeah, Tom then just took over both in '09. That
0: yeah. probably wasn't much of a change, really, as far as what you felt, I guess. Um,
2: yeah, it was. I mean, the book was harder for sure. From 08 to 09, I would say. Because in 08, it was definitely more battery-heavy. I mean, the 08 battery was insane. Stacked. a really good Yeah. Like, they should have been in focus more than the pit. You know, rightfully so. You know, just, like, based on the talent. Um, But, yeah, in 09, the pit was definitely fire. So, we got a harder book. Yeah. Nice. (laughs) Cool. Cool.
0: Well, I mean, right to your strengths. Exactly. Ranging 101, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) So... And then, so then for Endor, obviously, you said, how did you get hooked up? Was that just through the Bluecoats connection through MCM or like people, similar staff members or people in the ensemble that you were members with that also marched Mystique or what?
2: Um, Yeah. So when I auditioned for Bluecoats in 07, I met someone named Claire Smith um, and she, she made it in 07. We were both auditioning and she was marching Mystique in 07 that year. Um, so, I knew her from Mystique, and then, you know, me being an Upper Derby, or band director, would take us to WGI every year, and that's where I saw Mystique, where I saw, you know, Over the Max, RCC, and just, like, this upper echelon of, you know, keyboard players especially, and, yeah, so after seeing Claire in 07, Mystique, I was like, yeah, I definitely want to march Mystique, their front ensembles banging. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, Mystique's
0: always had an insane pit, yeah, it's they definitely sad. carried that, like, I mean very justifiable stereotype of like front ensemble excellence, which is cool. Yep. So you uh did you move then from Pennsylvania to to be a part of the group?
2: Yeah, so that's an interesting story. Yeah, so I moved from uh Pennsylvania. I got a scholarship to go to school in Florida, Florida A and M University. So oh, I did oh, nice. that and then I commuted from Florida to Tennessee for a season and I was like oh. this. This is bullshit. I don't want to do this. <laughs> How long of a uh, drive was that? How long of a drive was it? It was, was like it? eight and a half hours each uh, way, nine hours each is, way.
1: Is Evan <laughs> is that worse than what Travis,
0: Dan, and Tom did in twelve or in eleven? It's probably about accurate from the group that came from Connecticut to do the mix. I'd say it's pretty comparable. It's rough,
2: yeah. yeah. But were you rough. driving
0: it by themselves Because they would carpool it with like three yeah. people.
2: Yeah, we had a crew. It was a Florida crew. Okay. But there was, yeah, I mean, Philly to x is pretty far, and there was definitely people from Philly like Jules. I went to high school with Jules, and I was like yes, one of my best in. friends. Yeah, I yeah. was like one of my best friends growing up. Um, And like Wayne, I think. I think he was in the Philly area. When okay. Gibson? Gibson. Yeah, 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 I
0: think Jules is like building rockets now or something like that. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> man. He is a rocket scientist legit. Yeah
1: yeah like actual title rocket scientist yeah yeah i think so. that's uh, yeah, awesome like
0: <laughs> <laughs> um yeah that's a hot yeah. ball, eight and a half hours
2: Whew. yeah it was rough so i didn't want to do it so then i moved to you. uh nashville to then just do mystique um and that was pretty awesome because there was you know mystique always has a crew of people that are just kind of there um that moved there to do it. Mystique has a lot of implants, as do Rhythm i I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, People yeah. that yep. just don't live in the area, you know? Yep. Um, so yeah, I lived with a bunch of Mystique people and then just did Mystique just full out. It was a way better experience than driving from Florida. And so <laughs> First,
0: the, I'm sure not getting or getting done with a rehearsal on a Sunday afternoon evening and then like just being like a thirty minute drive to your house instead of being like, oh gosh. Yeah. And then, I'm <laughs> then having to go to class. Yeah. (laughs) so
1: 08 was the season you drove for right yeah and then 9 10 11 12 you lived there lived there yeah okay i I, we have to talk about fantastic later
0: but we'll get to it eventually
2: (laughs) yeah that was a wicked year (laughs) yeah
0: Yeah. so 08 did you what'd you play
2: i played vibes in 08 and 09 no nine i auditioned for marimba and got cut by a rookie uh got outplayed again just not ready (laughs) Um, and then 10, 11, 12, I played Marimba.
0: That's what's up. But still, like, I feel like that's probably not a super unusual scenario for people who maybe march multiple years at Mystique yeah. and like audition for Marimba. Like, uh, not that it's a knock to play vibes in any mean. I mean, all the parts are still challenging, I'm sure, in their own mm-hmm. right. Um, but then like work your way up to something else, or maybe they stay, like, oh, I like this. I like to rock the vibes here, so I'm going to stick with this. But, yeah. um, I think just kind of to revisit some of those instances that you've already spoken yeah. about, getting cut from Crossman, marching Kiwanis, getting cut from Bluecoats, marching Crossman, getting cut from Rimba, but marching vibes. Like It sounds like you were just willing to do whatever you had to do or could do in order to keep getting better instead of yeah. just being like, oh, I'll take it off and just like try again next year. Um, was that kind of your mindset, or were you just more like, I just want to do it no matter what I get, or were were you kind of using it like, well, no matter what, I can use this experience to maybe get to what I do want?
2: Yeah, and that's exactly it. I was just using that experience to just get, you know, to where I wanted. And, you know, for drum corps, it was Bluecoats, for sure. Like, I always wanted to march Bluecoats. They were just still, to me, like one of the coolest corps out there. Um, and then, they got uh, a that
0: vibe, that's for sure. It's a
2: vibe, man, mm-hmm. yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, when I was in high school, I noticed that vibe, and I wanted to do it. <laughs> You know, so that was, uh, you know, seeing, like, Bluecoats 05, you know, Caravan, and Caravan, just, yep. you know, just sick, you know. Um, oh,
0: 5 and 06, man. Oh, 5 and 06, yeah. It was that Connectus, uh, or was that what it was called?
2: Connexus. Yeah, you're right, yeah, I think yeah, it Yeah,
0: they Connexus. just, like, that backbeat with, like, those boom,
2: boom, boom, yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah. it hits you. Super, yeah, writing is brilliant. Um, So, yeah, that's why I auditioned in 07. But, nice. uh, yeah, so when I was... um i just did mystique as i knew i wanted to be marimba at mystique that was definitely a goal so if i got cut you know to play vibes that's fine i just need to you know i still had three more years left to like make it so for sure persistence
0: so so then obviously yes persistence beats resistance and i think that's a huge lesson i mean mike and i each have stories as well um and i always try to reiterate that just in case we catch a new listener that's like a younger person like I got cut so many times from the groups that I aspired to be in cadets, uh, phantom regiment. I got cut up blue coats ended up. Yeah. Going back to blue coats, but it's just like, you just can't give up. You got to find the next thing that allows you to get your foot in the door to eventually take the baby steps forward. I mean, and then hopefully you'll get to where you want to be. So
2: that's yeah. All. Persistence and definitely preparation, you know, is definitely like a, a huge thing probably the times that i got cut i probably just wasn't prepared enough you know or as much as the people that made it ahead of me for sure
0: put in the hours man
2: put in the hours what is it it's uh um when uh preparation meets opportunity destiny steps in
0: Uh, i love that saying yeah, I've heard one, too. It's like proper preparation prevents poor performance or
2: something like that. Oh, it's like I a love bunch
0: that. Of words. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that one's yep. dope. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I get
1: tongue-tied, though. I was
2: like, had so, to think about it. <laughs> so, you,
1: so you did all these years at Mystique. Do you have a favorite show that you were in?
2: Uh, that's a great question. Um, 2011, I would say, you know, is a really good show for me just because – I think as a membership, we kind of like changed our lives for that show. But as far as like challenging goes, 2012 was definitely the hardest thing I ever played.
1: That was New Tribe, right?
2: Yeah, New Tribe. Okay. That was definitely the hardest show I've ever done. But 2011 was definitely like.
0: 2011, you're talking yeah. mantra.
2: Mantra, yeah. Just for
0: those who may be like, what's 2011? Uh, yeah, people shaving their heads, like just committing all out. Like, yeah, you guys Marching in. barefoot and in a battery bought in big time and that that show always struck me
1: as just just so well designed so clean like from a performance standpoint and just like to look at like everything all the pieces just were designed well and they all fit into place in the way they needed to 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 come together as a package for you all to just kick everyone's butts pretty much you won prelims and finals right
2: yeah we won both. yeah Yeah, it was just 2 days back then. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, yeah. Back yeah. in the old
1: yeah. days, you know.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> back in there was like 16 groups trying to get 12 spots. Right. In yeah. finals and now there's like 30 groups trying to get 15 spots or <laughs> something crazy.
2: Yeah, and that's really crazy. There's just a lot more groups exploded. Man. Yeah.
0: So, 12 is the hardest book, 11 obviously a changing. And, and I think that that sort of buy-in from the membership is always going to be exuded through the performance i mean you could just tell Mm -hmm. like whenever a group steps on the field shows that remind me of that are like um that of 2011 you guys uh 2013 rhythm x 2015 rcc like there's just an aura or an energy around the group yeah i would definitely agree
2: with all of those shows yeah definitely
0: that you're just like Oh man,
2: there's something different about
0: this. Like everybody's Mm -hmm. really, really good, but there's just something, there's just something to this.
2: Yeah. Like they're about to win. (laughs) Yeah, for sure.
0: (laughs) And that buy in
1: from Mystique that we're talking about from 11 was always something that even when I was in Rhythm X for the two seasons that I was, I always respected. Even though there's there's there was a rivalry, there kind of is one now, like it's who knows if it's really real. I don't know. But yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things that no matter how much we were like salty that you all beat us, I was like, man, they're they go after it. And there's no better way to put it. Like when they have a show theme like Mantra, like you said, everybody shaved their heads, like everything is bought into from the way you all just walked around the lot. And that whole vibe just followed you all everywhere. And that consistency of everything in a group buy-in is something I've always respected about Mystique.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was uh, definitely uh, a dope year. We, um, every morning we meditated together as a group. Really? Um, yeah, we did. Uh, There's a couple times the staff would bring in a yoga teacher and we'd just have like a yoga session, just like the whole group. We went to – we saw um, a seek called sod guru um and really like dove into that culture like hardcore it was wow. like yeah that's it was really insane. intense yeah yeah dude. it was really awesome
0: dude that's dope that gives me chills thinking about it that's cool yeah uh, and so i think so that you, there go, to ahead, allude, go ahead evan to i guess expand on what mike was saying i think that there always was a healthy rivalry i mean if you're a member and you're competing you obviously want to you want to win i mean you, yeah. you want to do as best as you can i mean not to like say that winning encapsulates like the success of a season but i mean you do want to you do want to try to win i think but <laughs> yeah i mean so. it's a competitive activity at the end of the day yeah for sure yeah, but i mean it's I so subjective it that like it's not like you're really playing against the other groups as much as you're playing against yourself and like how good you can be to hopefully get credit so
2: <laughs> yeah exactly but, i mean the people in rhythm x at the time that i was marching i was you know, marching with them a couple months before at Bluecoats, you know, or, you know, competing against Jules, where that was like my best friend from my childhood. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, For you know sure. it's just like, yeah, once you're in the group, I would say it's healthy.
0: Yeah. I don't even and know like,
2: if it's there now,
0: you know. I don't either. I, I don't, I'm not sure. I think, it, I think it has kind of dissipated a little bit from maybe what it was in... The O five six seven maybe era, yeah. As far as like some of the shenanigans that happened, because I mean I was friends with people in those groups, uh, like Luke Willingham and stuff like that, and yeah. um, T J. Shaket, who we've become better friends now that it's like we've aged out. But either way, let's kind of backtrack to to two thousand ten because that was yes. such a unique show that yeah. I don't think that I appreciated. N- like nearly as much as i do now like going back and watching it obviously then i was in rhythm x that year and so we were like no we just want to beat them um (laughs) what was
2: rhythm x 2010 actually inspired show where we won every
0: show except the last one
2: yeah I, i remember that yeah that was the year justin lewis was in that right uh, he was in a no. He was in, in a, a nine.
0: Nine was his in last year. A show.
2: That was a show. I was living with him at that time.
0: Twenty ten <laughs> was the year that Jules was the uh Santa marimba. Yeah,
2: which so, he killed it.
0: Yeah. So you guys are going through. I guess if you were just looking at that show on surface level, like you would, you would see a lot of things that are kind of quirky or kind of wild about it. Like obviously the costuming itself. Mm-hmm. Like, what's kind of walk us through that season and you guys being like oh these are the costumes we're going to wear and you're just like okay like and this is the show and this is what it is
2: yeah i mean when they first presented the show to us it was kind of like a circus type theme you know and then it wasn't really like super defined like other times with some mystique shows you know like mantra or even 2012 when they present the show it, there's more like defined lines i would say um with 2010 it seemed just more of like a blob like <laughs> you know um we have some really sick music you know eric johnson writing the pit beats is always just going to be insane um and yeah when we got the costumes we were <laughs> shocked we were like this is you know what what it, what are these um <laughs> so they were uh yeah it was really really weird and then we tried a bunch of things with like face paint and stuff like that And it was really weird. And that show went through a lot of changes musically as well. I would say like 2010 and 2008 are probably like the top years that just the music changed so much. with was changing like full movements during the season, just like this movement doesn't work, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, it was, you know, it's definitely a wacky show, definitely a tough show um, or a tough year. The front ensemble was actually like homeless a lot of that year like we didn't have a place to stay after rehearsal we would like get hotels and like chip in and like oh, dang yeah it was like really rough on like the membership that year um but yeah it was definitely you know looking back on it it was it was wacky i think we could have even taken it a little further <laughs> you know as a as a front ensemble um but yeah it's just a lot of shenanigans how crazy can we make it you know
0: yeah yeah for (laughs) sure and i think like the perspective of what i had as a member competing against it like we were all just like man they look goofy as hell like what are they doing (laughs) but now like going back and like watching it as like an instructor myself or like a teacher Mm -hmm. um you kind of realize more of the nuance and stuff that because like at the time we're like are they even close to us? But then like, I go back now, I'm like, okay, like clearly I was just looking at it through a super biased lens, but mm-hmm. it was pretty wild. Like I go back and watch that show. Now I was like, man, there's like a lot more deeper, darker
2: like stuff going on. <laughs> yeah. That show is very, very drippy. And there was so, <laughs> so many layers to that. That was probably our last hand painted floor as well. I think we all, we hand painted that floor oh, and dang. all the backdrops as well. The whole backdrop scene was hand painted by the members. Um, I just so that remember was
1: pretty- in the in that season, I was marching an open class group, and I would watch you guys like set up and tear down before and after the performance. And I'm like, man, that has to suck. Like the yeah, batteries, that- like <laughs> chickens with their heads cut off, trying to get everything set up. And wasn't there a yeah. show where like those backdrops, like one of them, fell over in the middle of the show? <laughs>
2: Yeah, it was a regional. I think think it was Dayton Regional, maybe, or maybe it was Indy. It was rough. Yeah. That that show just like fell apart. (laughs) That's
0: what the regionals are for. You got to iron out all the kinks. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Yeah. We like redesigned that entire backdrop. Like those backdrops where they fell, those were not the ones we used at finals. Hmm. Probably a good move. Yeah. Probably a good move. Completely. Burn them.
0: (laughs) Get rid of them. Yeah. So you obviously had super, uh, a lot of success as a member, both outdoor and indoor. So then you start transitioning into your teaching uh, life after aging out, which is kind of the uh, (laughs) The bittersweet moment, but it's all good. Uh, And then you end up teaching right after that at BK. Was that right after you aged out of indoor?
2: Yeah. So I taught BK and... Uh, I took that summer off, so I didn't teach DCI twelve. Okay. So I started teaching um, DCI in thirteen. Uh, Josh Nelson, the director for Mystique, um, asked me to teach Blue Knights with him. He marched Blue Knights back in the day, so he had some connections there. Um, yeah. You know, with like Ralph Hardiman. Is, was caps. Ralph
0: the caption head then?
2: No, Brian Stevens was the caption head. He uh, was okay. uh, from Academy uh, before then. Uh, But um, yeah Ralph was always there and always around Kicking it, you know, Ralph is a badass (laughs) Dude, just super chill Super chill The best (laughs)
0: Um, And so that was for 13, 13, 14, 15, 16
2: Yeah, and in 14 Is when the Percussion staff changeover happened So they kept the entire front ensemble staff But brought in um, Mike Jackson and Kevin Shaw yeah, and, like, yeah. that whole crew. Yeah, and that was, like, you know, that's a complete what's up. what's up, you know? And, like, yeah. 13, we got 14th place. When they came in, we got 6th place in drums. <laughs> <laughs> that's what
1: that's what Mike Jackson does, man. Yeah, dude. He's, good, are, at it. He's good at what br- he does. Yeah,
2: they're brilliant. Yep. Kevin Shaw, just, you know, unbelievable. You know, working with them was unbelievable. <laughs> Kevin Shaw was the sound guy, right? He was a sound guy and wrote the whole for Ensemble book.
0: Oh, Shaw yeah. wrote the book.
2: Wrote the book. Yeah. Oh
0: wow, I did just not know speaking that. Speaking of, uh, just speaking too of like a vibe, like that we were talking earlier about like the blue coats, like they have a vibe, like obviously, but like what Mike Jackson and Kevin were able to do with uh, the Blue Knights and also obviously like with Broken City, it's a vibe too. It's different, mm-hmm. but like when you step in front of like a group that they have their finger on, you can just tell like. Yeah, this is something kind of just unique and very, very deep.
2: Yeah, so. they are very deep people and designers. So,
0: yeah, and then you started teaching MCM in 13 as well, right?
2: Yeah, 13, I started teaching um, Steak, yeah. the, the Taboo show, Is that what that was? Taboo, yeah. 13 was taboo yeah we tried to take that further but it <laughs> we got some backlash at some local shows so uh, <laughs> yeah I toned it down
0: <laughs> yeah I would, I would think that would be a possibility with that show theme that yeah. reminded me that show reminded me um i think it was before but like onyx winter guard like did something similar to is kind of like borderline like S-B-D- yeah. <laughs> or like whatever that's yeah. like. That's
2: and I think that's where we, you know, kind of, we were looking for inspiration for that. It was like that show, and then I think Fantasia had a Kama Sutra show as well. And they yeah. were all in like flesh tone, and they were, you know, everything was about sex. So I think we were trying to maybe just do it at that level, but I don't think we really could in the percussion community.
0: Yeah, yeah maybe that's, a little uh... bit less artistic reach in the percussion realm than the uh winter guard Maybe right. just that's literally. probably true <laughs> for now <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, um so 14 and have, in 13 or 2013 have you been with them every season every season since then
2: yeah in various different roles so 13 14 and 15 i was just as a just a front ensemble tech and then 16 17 i was caption head for them and then in 18, I was transitioning back to Philly. So I'm just more now in a consultant role. Gotcha. Uh, for them. Mm-hmm.
0: So is that so you, so obviously, the Hand of Man show was a 16 year, right? 17. 17. 17. Um, that show created some pretty unique uh, environmental challenges and I guess logistical challenges, I would assume.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: Just the pit starting in different various parts of the floor, moving around the floor. Was that like the idea from the beginning or was it just something that you kind of experimented with and were like, let's see what we can do? Or was it just like, we're going to do this. We need to figure out how to make it
2: work. That was definitely the idea from the beginning, you know, just kind of having the pit. You know, I think the original idea was just the pit moving in different places on the floor, you know, just creating a different sound, you know, acoustically. Um, so yeah, that, that was definitely the idea. I don't think we knew exactly how we were going to do it. And there was definitely a lot of trial and error, obviously (laughs) with that, a lot of ideas we just didn't do because it was just not possible. Um, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, it was definitely logistically just ridiculous. You know, like those pit section leaders, we had two of them and it was still just like an overwhelming amount of responsibility On them to just take care of all of that shit in the pit, you know?
0: Yeah, I can't imagine just from like a setup of like electronics and making sure that everybody's in the right spot. And if you don't start in the right spot, we're not going to move. I mean, it's like drill for a keyboard. Um, Yeah, for sure. So I can't imagine. Were there ever points in the year where like, did it take it longer? Obviously, the end result was what it was a very successful show was there like points in the year where it was like more frustrating? Like, we don't know if it's going to come together or did it always just kind of be like, no, nah, we're, we're going to figure it out.
2: Um, it was probably, there was definitely a time where it was like, we don't know if this is going to like actually, you know, happen. What's going to happen to the, you know, marimbas. We had a lot of, you know, accidents, you know, that would happen on the floor. And it was just kind of like, is this worth it? Is it really going to, you know, happen? Um, and then the members the members were, like, all about it. So they were like, no, let's do it. And so... <laughs>
0: well, that's good. Yeah. yeah.
2: You want the buy-in. Yeah, they bought in really hard.
0: Good, good. I mean, that reminds me... I mean, we weren't moving anything as heavy or, I guess, as laborious as a marimba, but we had all those snare drums in 2011. We had, like, 36 snare drums, and we were trying to move those around. And there were lots of ideas with those that... Oh, so many ideas. ...seemed, seemed really... Really good, and but in reality, moving around the floor it was like, yeah, this is
2: never gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, you know, 50% of that year was spent on logistics alone. You know, I remember spending full weekends on just, you know, figuring out the miking system of that. You know.
0: Oh yeah, wireless everything.
2: Everything was wireless, and like if the marimbas are spinning, like they all have. They're all in different ranges of the speakers, so like those settings have to change actively. Like,
0: oh, I yeah. do not envy that job. <laughs> no, nope. that's yeah, a lot of responsibility for guy. the sound guy.
2: Yeah, Eric Robertson, shout out your. <laughs>
0: <name's>. <laughs> is he the one who still does it? Yeah, with yeah. like all the mediums that that was that, that was cool. The stuff they did with the medium show the speakers and the reverb and the echo, and just, I was like, dude, this is sick. <laughs> that's all him. He's a killer. I watched. The, I think I watched. The, a breakdown he did of just like the soundboard or something like
2: that. And I was like, this is way above my head. So <laughs> thank God there's people that can do this. But yeah, it was way above my head even in 2017. I was like, I really don't know how to do this. Like, just tell me what you need me to do and <laughs> I'll be there for rehearsal. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I guess that's a good segue too into like the topic of the evolution of the front ensemble. Like, obviously, you've had a pretty spanning timeline of not just high school but like starting bushwhackers kiwanis cavaliers oh six crossmen really diving into super competitive world class to over a decade later with like indoor and the evolution of like what the front ensemble has been do you personally think that or i guess like just give us like your personal feelings on it like the benefits like the pros and maybe even the cons of it of like the micing the all the electronics, just everything.
2: Yeah, I think, um, you know, when you have no mics, you know, I started Mystique in wait we had no mics, in 09 it was our first year with mics. Um, I just think it's a lot easier on the membership. <laughs> you know, it's this is less stressful, less things to worry about. Um, you know, mics cutting out, electronics cutting out. I would say that's probably one of the cons um, of where you know, WGI and DCI has kind of gone. It wasn't, you know, you never really watched a show and then, like, you didn't, like, hear what was supposed to happen. You know, nowadays, like, you'll have samples cut out, you know, and it's just, like, that sample described the whole show. You know what I mean? Or it's, like, you know, you can't hear the keyboards at all because they're they're not mics because the mic's broke and now you have, like, a balance issue that you haven't been rehearsing all year. You're not getting judged properly. Um But on the contrary, if you do, you know, have success with it, I think that, you know, you can have more intricate music, especially in the front ensemble, because a lot of those inner parts just won't really be heard over battery instruments just acoustically without them being miked. Um, So, yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, I I think it's a good thing. You know, I think it's especially... Seeing how where like front ensembles were and where batteries were in like 2004, for instance, to where they are now, I feel like front ensembles have had a greater evolution than like batteries have, um, and I think electronics has you know played a huge part in that, for sure. How do you guys feel about it?
0: Well, I, I mean, I agree. Obviously, Mike and I would probably both say that we don't have the expertise in that just because we didn't do it. Um, Took the words I, right out of my mouth. <laughs> I think the nuance that you can catch, um, especially in like the increased ranges that you're able to hear, uh, both on the low end and the high end, from mm-hmm. a lot of the instruments, uh, and then just also the implementation on like how resonant and warm you can make the instrument, like closer to like a concert percussion setting, uh, to where it's like maybe what it was built for. How about that? Um, <laughs> right. You can just like definitely increase the expression. Um, I guess that makes a lot of sense too. You talking about the miking system issues, like if you have been practicing this all season with microphones at a low dynamic, and then they cut out. Like obviously, it just completely goes away because you just can't hear it. You've been practicing for this soft, warm sound at this low end, and now you don't have the mic, so it's just nowhere to be found. That obviously, people have heard the phrase "live and die by the electronics." I guess.
2: Yeah. Um, I've- and it's, you know, it's definitely, uh, you know, it, Mystique firsthand has experienced that 2015, you know, like our TVs just did not work. Oh, you yeah. Know, that actually, was like I remember the that show. show. Yeah, that was the show. It was like the TVs and they were just, you know, not on. And, uh, you know, it didn't, we dropped from second to fourth, I think. I think we got fourth that year from prelims to finals. Yeah, it was I think we actually swapped with X. I think X was in fourth and then they got second. It was like
0: it uh, was I don't remember what show that was. was 15, I can't remember the Alpha?
2: Maybe. Mm, no, was it, the
0: well, alpha it was show? one door opens, I think. Was yeah, it the eleven open.
1: snare drum year?
2: Yeah, I think so, actually. Yeah.
1: yeah, I think it was.
2: Yeah. But uh yeah, that was In that instance, we died by the electronics.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it does suck. And some people, I guess some people could make the argument like,
2: oh, well, the shows,
0: like what you were talking about, the judges knew what was supposed to happen. It's like, well, that's technically not what you're supposed to do, though. You're supposed to judge on what it is, not what it's supposed to be. Because, I mean, in theory, if you're judging on what it's supposed to be, then you'd be like, well, this book is amazing. It's supposed Mm -hmm. to be awesome if it was played clean but it's not, or so, I mean, you can't yeah, really...
2: Exactly, yeah, you have to, you know, get points. In the
0: night.
2: Yeah, exactly. So. But yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I think the evolution has been, you know, drastic for front ensembles, um, especially in the past 10 years, um, and just electronics in the activity in general have just, you know, chilled a lot, especially in, you know, DCI, like, micing horn lines, and you know, all of that's, like, super intense
0: sound manipulation and stuff.
2: Yeah. You know?
0: It does give you just a lot more opportunity um, as far as, like, artistically what you're able to create. Uh, but I do think at some point... Me, personally, I'm like, do we do we need to mic the crown horn line or the BD horn line? I think we can hear them. Like, it's all right.
2: Uh, yeah. And that's, yeah, <laughs> that's kind of where I'm at, too. But then from, like, a judging point, like, do they judge them the same because if i heard a pit that was mic'd and the pit that wasn't mic'd i would have a hard time comparing true it's a, That's a good point You know, what i mean i just really wouldn't hear everything you know
0: especially yeah. now that judging has changed with the rules outdoor at least true. um i think if they and i know we talked about this somewhat with dan on our flow podcast that we did with him and i agree like if they were going to give like a true apples to apples judging comparison they would just keep the judge in the box like 10 rows up like they do in wgi like he would get the same read on every single group not like oh i was behind the front ensemble trying to catch the battery and miss this i mean you would just get you would get the the show you would see the entire show the way they designed it but i don't make those decisions obviously so it's above our pay grade (laughs) (laughs) yeah but anyway um,
1: i wanna i wanna piggyback off this conversation and take it in a, a little bit different direction somewhat, so obviously you marsh mystique a lot you've taught mystique a lot. I said earlier a few times probably that mystique's Pit has always maintained a level of excellence that you can you can't not appreciate if I said that right like What is the secret sauce? I know that's kind of a loaded question. Is it consistency of staff? Is it there was a culture established a while ago, and then the the techs and the staff continue to be people that have gone through the Mystique system to maintain that level of consistency? Like, How do you guys put that level of excellence every single year, even when potentially maybe the talent levels the average talent level was the members, obviously it's gonna ebb and flow like every group every year. So how what do you all do? Well what do you, what do you eat? Are you eating Wheaties? Like what's going on?
2: <laughs> um, maybe a little bit of Wheaties, probably a lot of ramen because you know just... <laughs> for <laughs> you sure. Because when you're marching, you're poor. <laughs> right. Um but yeah, I think it's, you know, probably a little bit of all of that. The the staff is super selective of who we bring on. Um, and the staff is pretty consistent, I would say. Um, you know, the people that aged out in 05 and in 07 were, like, the staff when I was there. Um, and when I started teaching, they were still the staff. And as they started to kind of dwindle, like, I became the staff. And then it just kind of, like, the deck just kind of shuffled. And now the people that are there you know, we selected, you know, very carefully. Um, And, you know, Mystique has always had this just, like, pool of powerhouse marimba players to just come out. Um, We would get just section leaders from the top groups. And when I joined Mystique, it was, you know, section leaders from Cavaliers, Bluecoats, you know, and that's just kind of what I, you know, just came into. Um, And, yeah, I think, just those players just keep it at a high level and, you know, just make sure that that level of quality is always there, um, even when the, the talent pool at auditions isn't the best. And I think, you know, part of that, you know, when we've had like low talent um, at auditions, we, you know, realize that it's a teaching year and spend a lot of time on basics, like like a lot of time. Um, more than we would in like like in 2011, we didn't really spend that much time on basics at all just because all of those players had been playing together for like four or five years. Mm-hmm. But in 2012, it was like all new people in like the first month and a half, two months, we were just playing on blankets, you know, just getting our hands ready for this hard ass book. Uh, <laughs> you know, what I mean not just like playing the notes, but like literally just like making our hands able to do it. So yeah, I would say it's like the staff as well.
1: And that's something right there that's a lesson for any of our younger listeners. Don't try to run before you can walk. Like, the basics and fundamentals, like even the top groups in the activity, hammer those fundamentals. And I I know I've taught kids that want to just get to the cool, flashy stuff in in the drumming realm. Like, I'm sure maybe there's that that happens in the front ensemble realm on keyboards. Like, Mystique is one of the best front ensembles in WGI every year. And they're having to hammer the fundamentals sometimes too. Like that's how important it is.
2: Yeah. Hardcore. Like we do not let up on fundamentals. We'll play blocks for an hour if we, you know, have to, you know, just like, like the equivalent of eights essentially. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, we'll do it as long as we need to before we have to like learn this music. And Mystique really uh, focuses on like learning music the right way. Um, so, like the first time we like learn it through, we don't like to backtrack a lot. Um, so it's really awesome, you know, just teaching music the right way. And you know if you learn something the wrong way and then you have to relearn it, you're just losing time. You know, and in an indoor, it's a time game. You know, you don't For have sure. a lot of time. So really focusing on, you know, the basic and fundamentals before you learn this super hard music and playing things super slow. Like Mystique will break stuff down tempo finals week, you know, be like, you know what, let's just take it 10 clicks under. We can't do it, you know, and it's just like what it is, you know, you have to fundamentals are are everything. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a little bit of like the staff, the members, um, Again, some DCI teachers, um, you know, teaching at Mystique as well. Um, I think that has a lot to do with it, you know, because nowadays it seems like more the membership follows teachers than they do the music. um, Where it's like I wanted to go to Bluecoats before I even knew who was teaching there. Where I would say like nowadays I don't think it's that way. So I think like teachers being in like like I was in Blue Knights. We have someone teaching at Crown now. Um, there's people teaching at Phantom and Madison. they brought in a bunch of those cats in like the 15, 14 years, and really just like that that crossover really just helps out. Like Craig Loeffler. I think you guys know Craig Loeffler. You know he. I know the name, know. yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, he was section leader for tall Blueco- skinny guys. Yeah, section leader for Bluecoats in '05, March Mystique, 04 to 07, um, and then taught Mystique probably up until 14. Um, so, taught is he me to Amanda, yeah. He's married to Amanda, yeah. yeah. Who he taught I blue loved. coats
0: in
1: 12, too. When I was, on oh, 12. yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, that's I know right. He back is. to coats, yep. yeah, for sure. Yeah, Amanda, also shout out to her. She's my birthday twin. I love her. <laughs> nice, I met her in like. 2005, when I was at Kiwanis and she was marching Cap Red. She'd be like way back. Yeah.
0: Yeah, she marched with me in
2: 2010. Sick. Yeah, she is a a badass. I love her. Um, But yeah, like people like Craig, you know, and then, yeah, Craig marching Bluecoats, you know, bringing in some of those members, you know, um, like Alex Liu um, coming into Mystique and killing it, you know, so just the staff really. You know, having a lot of pull in DCI and really able to, like, craft members, you know. Because in DCI, you can just, like, practice so much. You can do fundamentals for a week. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you got the you know time. Know I mean? yep. You have so much time. Um, so, yeah, really just having the staff come through that way, I think, has just kept up the excellence. I think that's
0: a good point. I mean now that you said that thinking back on it there were groups that i was attracted to because it was the group like the cadets like oh i just love i love the cadets like obviously tom onks was sure associated with cadets and that was part of it but i just loved like the cadets but now a lot of people are more staff loyal like for instance like crown had a shake up a few years ago where some of their staff like they had that whole boston where they brought in people from oh, yeah. cadets and crown and a lot of those crown guard folks just went left crown to go to boston because their staff went they liked the staff um and right. i think that was i think that impacts people like the experience that you get from the people who you're teaching is or who are teaching you is huge um so yeah that makes a lot of sense to me but and like that continuity like you were saying like the people they were teaching when you were a member were teaching as you were teaching after you aged out and then kind of like it was a good transition of like that same culture and same kind of like understanding of the organization and how it operates. I think that's a big, big deal um, just to keep the continuity. And obviously once a culture is established like that, like the front ensemble, the mystique, that's going to attract some people too, or, oh, the RCC quad line or the blue coats baseline now these days. I mean, those sort of things kind of be, Kind of create their own little like vortex to suck people in, I guess.
2: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat>
0: um, kind of switch gears a little bit, unless Mike's got anything else with the marching side of things. No, go right ahead. All right. So, <laughs> obviously, uh, in doing some research on you, sir, um, I came across some stuff. You have, I guess, it's a website, or is it like your? Um,
2: production stuff called jello vibes is that right yeah jello vibes is my uh, current music project
0: cool 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 so obviously i came across that uh, listened to some of the music and had just found some other stuff or interviews that you've done so you're creating music and obviously you probably had like an impact on the music that you like inspiring what you currently do but kind of take us through that like Before we get into what you're doing now, like some music that you were impacted by early on in your life, like genres or artists or anything like that?
2: Yeah. um, Yeah. Growing up, I'd probably say my parents were hip hop and R&B focused, hip hop being my dad. You know, my dad's the one who showed me, you know, Biggie Smalls and Tupac, you know, and The Roots. Um, you know, so I was just like really fortunate, you know, that my parents had like excellent taste and my mom, you know, more on like the Michael Jackson, Whitney Houston, um, Tony Braxton, just Long Hill, R&B side heavy. Um, and that really, uh, you know, you know, shaped my, you know, younger music playlist, so to speak. You know, if you were to look at my iPod, it was probably hip hop and neo soul R&B, um, you know, but then when I got into drum corps, you know, which I think is just tying this a little bit back to marching, I think is super awesome about drum corps is that you just get introduced to so many different types of music. Um, I didn't really know a lot about like rock or indie or like I was just never really like introduced to it, um, and that really you know just expanded you know my just my realm. You know, Sufjan Stevens and like you know all of that. Um, you know and i really just you know kind of veered off into um the like dubstep realm for a second you know electronic <laughs> dubstep like came like came up and i was like super huge into dubstep because it's so rhythmic you know what i mean yeah, like, it's yeah. just like all rhythms i was just like yo i can like play to this i can like play rhythms to this um so like that was really cool and then like that led me onto like heavy metal yeah and I was just like super into um you know heavy heavy metal and found like animals as leaders and like you know that whole um you know that whole realm and now I'm just kind of like all over the place you know um I would probably say my focus now is uh glitch hop um it's probably like my favorite um genre like glitch hop and like ambient you know, falling under that umbrella of like IDM, not EDM. And uh, what
1: is um, what is glitch hop? I have to look <laughs> this up now.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like glitch hop, you know, it's um, it's like electronic music, and it's it's so you have EDM, you have IDM. Those are like two of the umbrellas in electronic music, and um, IDM like glitch music falls under that IDM, um, just kind of realm. And you know, where you have like glitch, and you have um, you know, like, timeline-wise, the samples are falling under the hip-hop realm. Um, that's what would make it, like, glitch-hop. Or, um, having, you know, like, a glitch-hop artist do an album, kind of like a mixtape style. Um, like, you have a lot of times in hip-hop, you know, like, hip-hop producers would oftentimes send out mixtapes, um, you know, to rappers to, like, do, you like, these beats. Like, you can buy all these beats. Here's, like, a quick mixtape of samples of these beats, um... And so, like, Glitch Hop kind of, you know, takes that same format of song, um, you know, and kind of creates that genre. You know, there's some heavy hitters, few 73, um, Tricks Point Never, you know, just name a couple.
0: <laughs> I like it. I'm going to have to go back and look at these. I groups. know. I'm definitely going to look this up.
2: Yeah, I, uh, my shit.
0: I, I always love that, too, about, like, drum core and just, like, college, like, you get exposed to this like melting pot of just different music and my roommate opened me up to a bunch of different stuff like uh what was it the sound of animals fighting and
2: just like yeah dude a bunch of
0: like random stuff uh
2: that, that's a uh, throwback i was like what is this, like, what wow. is this stuff uh
0: <laughs> yeah
2: um, yeah i didn't find that until yeah i got to crossman and uh March with a guy named brian marr and he showed me like sounds of animals fighting and like circus Survive and like dance circus, yeah, dance, yeah. Dude, and, like all that and they're from philly you know um so like i've gone seen circus Survive a couple times and just like connect nice. that music a little bit
0: yeah um, yeah for sure
2: yeah um but yeah so that's kind of what i i would say jello vibes is probably an influence of like maybe all of like those things um you know just kind of a meld of my brain but Definitely a lot of glitch hop and, uh, you know, ED, like IDM, down-tempo, ambient, or like lo-fi, you know, like the study beats, chill hop. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, like just a couple of some vibes on that, like that. Um, but yeah. Yeah,
0: I, because uh, I listened, I guess you had four tracks, or maybe, maybe there maybe was more on there, but I listened to the four tracks that are on your website, and I was like, man, all four of these, like, offer a completely different feel or vibe. Like one of them was pretty mellow, uh one of them was kind of fairly upbeat and then you had like the hip-hop where the dude was like uh doing the lyrical stuff on top of it um giving me some love on there (laughs) uh and i was like yeah i mean like i could kind of hear it and obviously with the i guess you're using the vibe and we can talk about that too just like the instrumentation itself um to like facilitate a lot of that feeling or the i guess emotion that you're trying to create with the the music um and you're using the uh the new mallet thing yeah, or
2: whatever yeah the the Pearl mallet station it's like
0: we, the upgraded mallet cat that everybody like fights with yeah. that used to fight with the mallet cat or whatever
2: yeah 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 it's uh it's pretty dope it's really transformed my writing you know it was i've always struggled with just recording an actual vibraphone you know and then incorporating that into music it's always just been a challenge for me and then you know performing shows carrying around a vibraphone is its own thing. Have, like, a pickup <laughs> <truck>. <laughs> oh no, I would break it down and put it in my car. You know. Oh so, like, dang. Yeah, the setup in teardown was like an hour each time, and like trying to do that, and then like the vibraphone loses like its integrity. Like taking off the keys and rolling up the keys, like every couple of days, just gets you know challenging every time you want to like play with another musician.
0: And so now the new one is just basically a uh, a midi. It's a board, right?
2: Yeah, it's just it's just a board and it's just like a, a MIDI instrument, so I can just plug it into um, Logic or Ableton and just put any sound on it. Essentially,
0: yeah, it reminds me uh, my wife's a clarinet player, and there's like a an iwi, or a, I think it's what's called an eWe. It's like an electronic clarinet, oh, nice. but you can just you can play it like you would do the fingerings on a clarinet, but you can change it like if you want it to sound like a trumpet or electric guitar or like whatever you want it to sound like but that way you're not having to learn another instrument you can just play the notes that you know and so it kind of reminds me a lot of that
2: yeah that's like kind of what i wanted was to use my skill but for any instrument
0: (laughs) yeah that's cool and like you were talking about just the uh like recording capability just like being able to plug up and have like a direct line instead of yeah i gotta set out time and pay for a room that's like
2: yeah sounds
0: quiet and stuff
2: yeah it's just a lot and it's just yeah it just became too much um so yeah i got the mallet station and that's really been been pretty killer
0: is that uh have you been doing stuff with throughout like quarantine has that opened you up with like more time to do
2: stuff but, yeah i um yeah this that album that i put out probably wouldn't have happened in quarantine <laughs> or was <without laughs> oh, it quarantine. that range? yeah it's new it came out uh in may like late may okay. um yeah so without that like i did that in like the two months i was in quarantine <laughs> like the first two months of quarantine i just like pumped that out Um, now, now I already have like two EPs coming out later this fall just because I'm still in quarantine.
0: (laughs) Yeah, man, that's cool. Well, I mean, it gives you time to just like create, have to dive into a project like that. So you got two, you said EPs coming out in the fall that you're working on. What's, uh, I guess what's next or what's the goal or what's the hopes and dreams through that stuff?
2: Yeah. So that is, um, I'm looking to send this one out to a couple of labels I have in mind, um, and just see, you know, what they think of it or if they would like to put it out, you know, putting out releasing it through a label instead of just independently. Um, I think is my goal for that. Um, and one of the albums will be um, very just like glitch hop heavy. And then the second EP will be um, just like down tempo and poetry. I have like this collective like this collection of poems that I just I'm not doing shit with. So I'm just going to put them <laughs> over um, a bunch of just like spacey down tempo ambient music um, with just like vibraphone literature on top. Um, That's cool. So Is yeah. it your, your own poems, your own poetry. Oh yeah, it's all original. Yeah, all my own poetry. Yeah, when I was in Nashville, like my last like two years in Nashville, I like randomly dipped into the like spoken word scene. I just like felt like doing it, and I did it. And I have like ten poems from it. Um, but that, they mm-hmm. haven't. I haven't done anything with them since.
0: <laughs> hey, it's a perfect opportunity. Yeah. That's pretty sick i saw uh in one thing i guess it was an interview you did you said um, one of your like dreams is to do like a sunrise concert or something like that
2: yeah man i've been so i'm huge in like the music festival world i've been to you know, Ugh, rip
0: right now Ugh. yeah
2: oh my gosh yeah <laughs> rip right now i had so many i was gonna go to burning man this year oh no dude. yeah i'm so upset <laughs> Um, there's a Mystique cat out there that uh, Kevin Snow, I don't know if you guys know Kevin Snow um, no. Okay. Um, he was a snare drummer at Mystique for uh, five years, huge bearded guy, um, but he goes to Burning Man like every year um, so I was going to go this year with him but yeah, I've seen a lot of Sunrise sets and they're like my favorite part of music festivals hands now, are like the Sunrise sets, they're just like the best like the people that could like stay up you know what I mean, and then just like yeah. chill is pretty wicked to me.
0: You, because uh, you said, I guess you're kind of like that's like I don't know if you if you would say like a morning person, but like that's just like a, a vibe that you like with that time period that it creates. Because um, I I saw where you wrote that something along the lines of different environments can like invoke different emotions and like different meaning into music. Is that kind of what you're trying to like portray with your stuff as far as like making it so diverse is like just touching different yeah. emotions and different,
2: yeah, different
0: like parts of your life even maybe?
2: Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah. I would say that, you know, I think at any time of the day, you know, if you were to listen to one track at noon versus midnight, you know, you would have just like a different reaction to it, or it may mean more or less to you. Um, I think with, you know, from like 5 to like 8 a.m., music is like really, really sensitive to your brain. At least it is for me. Um, And I think that, you know, with my music um, specifically, I think it would, you know, be very good at 5 a.m., <laughs> you know what I mean? Like vibraphone sunrises, you know what I mean? Like, I think that that yeah. would hit a lot for a lot of people. Um, and, you know, a lot of times, you know, where you, when you have these sunrise sets, they're usually at, like, electronic events. Um, so that would, like, you know, my music, I think, would really work in something like that. Um, and, yes, yeah, throughout my life, like, some of my favorite times at music festivals um, have been at, these sunrise events you know like bonnaroo or you know sonic bloom and things like that that's what's up yeah
0: it's it's kind of interesting i never thought about that until i read it too just listening to the same track but at just at different instances obviously at that point in the day there's generally 5 a.m to 8 p 8 a.m or 5 a.m to 8 a.m there's generally a lot more stillness just in the environment like as far as like Nature goes and like the wind is usually not picked up yet and like right, the sun's coming
2: up are very different than any other point in the day.
0: Yeah, that's a pretty interesting thought. Versus like <laughs> listening to something on your lunch break or something where you're in the middle of the day, you're like mad that whatever X happened at your job or,
2: <laughs> or something. Yeah, I mean it's essentially like you listen to different music going into work than leaving work. You know what I mean? You just want a different. Like I think humans just do it naturally. You know what I mean? For sure, and I, I just sure. think that my music would fit best at those hours. <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right, next thing real quick. Project One Runway, Guilty Pleasure, you said. Oh, yeah. I'm... <laughs> I've never watched Project Runways. I don't know What's, I about either, it Dude, what's the premise?
2: Hit yeah, me. it's it's dope. So they pretty much just get a bunch of designers. In um, a bunch of different styles, and just give them a bunch of challenges like create something like streetwear, create like ballroom couture, or create like menswear or something like that. Um, and they put them in a time crunch. And I think that, you know, when you have people that can create, um, you know, super well, you know, if they're on that show, they're obviously like really good at what they do. And I think yeah. if you put them, you know, if you give them all the resources and you give them like a time crunch, really, you can really see creativity. It's like super tangible on that show. You can like see how things are being created and people's how people's minds are working. And I don't really think you get that with like any other show, you know, I've been like addicted to that show for like a long time. It's super sick. You know, I just, I'm like I speak very highly of Project Runway.
0: I'll I'll probably have to check it out then. Uh, it kind of reminds me a li- what you're describing. Then reminds me, I guess, like the time crunch. And the only reason I would think of this is because I've been watching it a lot lately. Or else I would not have thought of it uh, through quarantine. I've been watching like Food Network a lot. Yeah, uh, yeah. A lot of those uh, which is probably shows. not good because it just makes me super hungry. <laughs> um, but like an, a TV show like Chopped, where they are like. All right, they give everybody who's competing like the same ingredients, but it's like just the most random crap. Like, all right, here's some lamb and some chocolate bars and, and some pistachios or something. And you got to make a dish with it. And they all three come up with something like completely different, uh, but they're just like trying to yeah. create it. They, but I could see how that would be cool to just like to witness somebody's super creativity because they probably, I guess on that show project when we have like much more resources to work with.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Essentially they, you know, they're usually in New York or they usually fly to an international location at some point. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, they're like, all right, do couture. And then they'll send them to like this fabric store and just like get whatever you want. You know what I mean? Um, And then just like, all right, you have, you know, two days to do this um, and you can really see, you know, it really exposes that I think you need your own process as an individual when creating. And if you don't have that process down, you know, essentially you will, you know, fail at something like that. And I think it really just exposes creativity in a super interesting way.
0: That's sure. cool. That, I think that I think that that's very relatable to just music composition or Right. artistic design in general i mean obviously like our activity what we've been talking about is all based off like artistic design and just being willing to just take something and how far can you go with it using what resources you have and just a lot of the time this activity is under the gun too like all right we got this amount of time to design the show so i think that's pretty pretty cool i'll have to check it out sometime (laughs) yeah definitely but uh yeah man i think um Just to kind of cap us all off, give you the opportunity, like people want to check out your stuff, like where can they find you? Where can they get in touch with you? Where can they learn more about like what you got going on?
2: Yeah, uh, hit up my Facebook and my Instagram, Jello Vibes on Instagram. It's Jello underscore vibes. Yeah, that's where most of my stuff is. Spotify as well and Bandcamp. Um, Those are where my albums are and look out for my stuff this fall.
0: Cool. Yeah, cool. Dude, we'll be anxious to check it out, man. Yeah. Definitely cool. we'll we'll do that. Well, dude, well, yeah. like really, really Mike and I appreciate you yep. reaching out to us, uh, just being like, hey man, like let's let's get together and chat. Like Yeah, you guys I are badass. I think that's the no, beauty we of the thing. Uh we've talked we've been able to talk to people just otherwise wouldn't have, or just get to know some other dudes, uh, and just spread the love. So
1: Yep. I yeah. personally enjoyed the window into Mystiques greatness so <laughs> nice don't hate me rhythm x fans watching we we already talked about that it's, it's a healthy competition between the two groups <laughs> healthy, we respect yeah. each other even if it's we want to beat lot. each other
2: oh for sure yeah um also uh mike um griffin says what's up <laughs> uh,
1: do you live with him
2: oh no no griffin is just like my homie i uh um, I was just in his wedding. He's like one of my best friends.
1: Okay, yeah, Griffin's a really awesome guy. So, Griffin yeah. Hood—that's who you're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, Griffin Hood. Yeah. I marched with Griffin. It was blue, blue stars, right? Yeah, yeah, yep. he marched yep. blue stars. He was—he uh, was in the front. I was in the battery. Griffin's a good guy. Tell him I said what's up next time you talk to him.
2: Dope. I will. All right.
0: <laughs> so,
1: you got anything, Evan?
0: Nah, man, I'm good. All
1: right. Let's wrap this sucker up. So, yeah, thanks, thanks, guys. No, oh, yeah, really dope. Yeah. thanks everyone i'll reiterate the spiel from the beginning hit subscribe on youtube subscribe on spotify apple Podcasts, whichever you prefer but we're getting close to 500 subs on youtube so hit it there if you yes. haven't yet like the video on youtube uh follow on instagram and facebook to never miss an update on the podcast hit us up on patreon.com slash out podcast if you want to support us financially and other than that jello this has been amazing And we will see everybody in a couple weeks with the next episode. Peace. Peace out.